Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. As you're going to see today, you're going to find out again and be reminded that Colossians and the series that we're going through is truly, truly keystone theology. We're going to be sitting on just a few verses this morning and you're going to see precisely why. There are some profound theological truths found in the book of Colossians. And remember, keystone means the center stone that holds all the other stones together. And we know the cornerstone of our Christian faith is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful to come together this morning to be able to study your word, to be encouraged by what we see happening in your word, because your word is alive and well. Despite what we see going on throughout the world, we want to be prayerful for those who do not know you. There is no hope outside of Christ. Those who are seeking hope outside of Christ are actually seeking their own condemnation, their own destruction. Thank you for what you did on the cross for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This idea is not original to myself. Most of us do know that oil and water do not mix, correct? It doesn't really go over too well if you try to mix oil and water. A great example of this would be what you see there on the left side of the screen. Italian salad dressing takes the cake. See... The oil and water separate once the ingredients settle. So most of you have seen, especially Italian salad dressing, look like it's separated. How do you bring the two back together? Shake it up. Shake it like a Polaroid picture. Unfortunately, shaking the bottle is only temporary, right? You're not one and done. You don't just shake it. Now they're together and that's going to be the way they are. No, you have to do it each and every time because the oil and water will soon separate again. Therefore, before each use, we must do exactly that. Shake the bottle in order to bring all of the ingredients back together. Now, on the other side of your screen, on the right side, you see a jar of mayonnaise. Mayonnaise is quite different. See, Mayonnaise has what is known as an emulsifier within it. That's right, I, I said emulsifier. I know some of you are now saying you sound a little bit more like Betty Crocker. But the truth is I'm starting to sound a little bit like Betty Crocker, but I clearly still do not know what the heck I'm talking about. And how come when I make statements like that, David's always the first one to laugh and laugh the loudest? I need to remind you, I know where you live. In fact, I could hit your balcony from a stone from right here. But if I keep talking like I know what I'm doing, even though I don't, Hope's going to have me in the kitchen on Father's Day starting to cook, so I better digress really quickly here. But mayonnaise is quite different. It does have an emulsifier. So what is an emulsifier? Some of you are asking that question. See, it's something that brings other things together that naturally would never come together on their own. See, the emulsifier in mayonnaise is egg. Egg is what brings the ingredients together. The egg brings everything together, these two separate entities that normally would never 
mix together on their own. The egg infiltrates both so they can come together and make a solid substance. You don't have to shake mayonnaise, do you? Church, this is like Jesus to us. What Jesus did upon the cross was an act of emulsification. He brought us together with God. Why? Well, it's simple. See, we were all once hostile towards God. We were once enemies to God. We were once foes to God. And especially foes to His righteousness. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. The title for today's sermon is this, Former Foes. Former Foes. We're going to be in the book of Colossians chapter 1, verses 21, 22, and 23, just looking at three verses this morning. Last week, we were encouraged in the truth that the highest rank in the universe belongs to Jesus. There is no question that He is the creator, sustainer of the whole universe, and He is the one that reigns supreme. He has the highest rank. We were encouraged that He is the physical representation of God. And that's what really separates us apart from every other religion in the world. That Jesus Himself is God. We focused on Jesus being the Creator and the Sustainer of all things that are eternal. All things that last forever. Today we're going to see how Jesus has reconciled us. How He's the emulsifier. The only one that can bring us together with God. After all, we were former foes. All of this we see in our three verses this morning. So the verses will be on the screen. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21, 22, and 23. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Amen. These verses put into one sentence, looks just like this. Our main idea coming from these verses this morning. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has made it possible for the enemies of God to become His forever friends. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has made it possible for the enemies of God to become His forever friends. Friends, as we've already discussed oil and water and how they do not mix, we actually failed to detail why oil and water doesn't mix. See, water is held together by hydrogen bonds. Oil, on the other hand, does not have a polar part. Therefore, oil would have to break down the hydrogen bonds in water in order to come together, in order to make it dissolve. See, water will not allow this to happen from oil, which is why oil always stays separate 
from water, church. God is more like water than oil. And we were once more like oil than water. For as much as we formerly enjoyed our evil deeds, as our verses indicate this morning, we simply hated God. And for as much as God loves those who are holy and blameless, as we see in the text this morning, He, and this is harsh, this is a harsh truth, this is a harsh reality that most do not want to accept, but let me say this again, for as much as God loves those who are holy and blameless, He hates evil doers. And we come to this conclusion from verses 21 and 22 this morning. And don't you just love how Paul begins verse 21? When you look at verse 21, do you see how he starts off? He says, and you. I, I think it's safe to say he's, he's talking to, to me. He's talking to you. He's talking to us. And you, Paul says, right out the gate. See, he's saying, and you, because we're guilty of being the oil. While God has been and always will be the water, which is why he goes on to say right here, he says, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. The word alienated in the original Greek in which this was written meant to be estranged or separated or cut off. Before Jesus, we were all alienated from God. We were all separated, cut off. In fact, look at the word hostile. Do you see that word hostile? Do you know what that word indicates, the reason why the Apostle Paul is putting that in there? Well, it's because before Jesus, we all hated God. Thank goodness Jesus is our emulsifier. Good thing he's the egg in our mayonnaise. See, not only were we alienated from God, but he was alienated from us. So how about those who are still doing evil deeds? See, we, we know some of those folks in our lives, don't we? How about those folks? Because some of you may be asking right now, hold on a second. Hold on. Isn't God omnipresent? Which basically means, isn't God everywhere at once? Doesn't everything happen right before Him? Doesn't He see all? How can an evildoer be alienated from somebody in which everything happens right before Him? Church, this isn't universal truth. This isn't a blanket statement that covers everybody. No. This is personal truth. Only faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus allows for someone to go from foe to friend with God. One commentator says it best when he says, we refuse to accept God's evaluation of us as being sinners. We would also not accept God's remedy for the situation, which is dependence on Christ. See, before Christ, we thought wrong and we acted wrong. 
Before Christ, we were foes. We were enemies. We were bogeys on God's radar, which is why when you see the title screen for our sermon, it's a radar with bogeys. That was us. The first birth that we were born into when we came into this world, we came into this world as bogeys on God's radar. Why? Because we were foes. And Jesus died for a horde of rebels in order to make them friendlies of God. And do you know who a friendly of God is? If you're no longer a bogey on God's radar... Do you know who a friendly of God is? It's quite simple. It's someone who is dependent upon Jesus. Why? Why would we want to be dependent upon him? Because what it says here in the text this morning, it says he reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Reconciled in his body. His body means that we were bought with a price. He purchased us by paying with his life. See, Jesus substituted places with us. We deserve the cross. Not Jesus. After all, we were the ones, as it says here, alienated and hostile. Because didn't Paul start off, and just refresh my memory, I, I think I'm reading this correctly. He says, and you, right? But because of Jesus, we are now, what does it say? Holy and blameless. All because Jesus traded places with us. He died our death so that we can get His holiness. Why did God do all of this for us? Why? He did this so that we could be above reproach before Him, as it says. So the question for us when we come to that phrase or that terminology, we need to ask the question, what does it mean to be above reproach? It means... No accusation can be made against you. So let's remember, for as much as we formally enjoyed our evil deeds, we hated God. And for as much as God loved those who are holy and blameless, He hates evildoers. So since we're above reproach, how can we learn to depend on Jesus? Because after all, that's what it looks like, right? Someone who's dependent upon Jesus, we're dependent upon Him to begin with in order for Him to bring us back into a friendly relationship with God. What does it look like? Well, we can begin to know what it looks like to depend upon Jesus through these three simple things that all of us should be doing. The first would be prayer which is an opportunity to acknowledge God's power, His promise is, and His provision. So, the question for each of us is, who and what are you praying for? 
The second thing that we could all participate in to begin to depend upon Jesus would be to minister and serve, which are actually the same thing. Ministry means service. When you minister to someone, you're serving them. When we seek opportunities to serve others, we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit to work through us. Because if I'm serving you, it's not me that's motivated to do this on my own. I'm motivated by the Holy Spirit living within me. So the question then becomes for us, who are we seeking opportunities to serve? Are we seeking opportunities to serve? The third thing that we can easily do is to rely on God's word. After all, didn't Jesus say man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God? Just like food nourishes our physical needs, God's word nourishes our spiritual needs. So, how are you doing personally? Don't raise your hand or say it out loud. Don't give any indication, but you can answer to yourself. How are you doing personally with reading your Bible? How much time are you actually spending in God's word? And as you ponder how to better depend upon Jesus, let's examine our first point this morning from these first two verses. And that is this. No one can accuse us of wrongdoing before God because Jesus has made us holy and blameless. No one can accuse us of wrongdoing before God because Jesus has made us holy and blameless. And the reason why we know that this is true is because God, as a holy, righteous God, He cannot have a relationship or be in the presence of sinful man. He had to restore us. He had to reconcile us in order to have a relationship with us. When was the last time we worked as hard as what he has worked in order to have a relationship with somebody else? God's never going to ask us to do something that he is not willing to do himself. That is proven with what he did upon the cross. It's proven that he went to the cross even after He created, or he went to the cross knowing when he created that he was going to have to go to the cross. Our main idea this morning is this, again, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has made it possible for the enemies of God to become his forever friends. Eric Musambani. Some of you maybe have heard of him, maybe, maybe not. If you have heard of Eric... The first time you probably heard of him was in the 2000 Sydney Olympics. Eric is from a small Central African country called Equatorial Guinea. He was 22 years old during the Sydney Olympics. And what's far more impressive about the fact that he actually participated in the 20 or 2000 Sydney Olympics was the fact that he had just learned to swim the January prior. Didn't even know how to swim. And next thing you know, he's at the Olympics. See, he made it there not because of his performance, not because of his ability to, you know, go fast in the pool doing the freestyle. No, he made it there because the Olympic International Committee gave him a special invitation. See, there is a program, or there is a program designed to allow athletes from poorer countries to compete despite not meeting the typical requirements to get there. 
Therefore, Eric was entered into the 100-meter freestyle under this program. In qualifying heats, usually there's three individuals in the lane. Well, fortunately for Eric, or unfortunately, because it put the spotlight right on him, or maybe the spotlight would have been on him anyway, the other two individuals that were swimming against him in that heat actually were disqualified for false starts. So Eric had to swim the 100 meters alone. He had just learned how to swim like six months prior. The Associated Press gave Eric this tagline. It's not so flattering. And if you guys want to you know, throw this tagline at me, I'm cool with it. It's all right. But they said he's charmingly inept. Not a good description for somebody who's about ready to compete. 100-meter freestyle in the Olympics. See, swimming all by himself with only 10 meters left to go. He's got 90 down. He's got 10 left to go. Eric came to an abrupt stop in the pool. It's been said that those who were watching actually feared that he was going to drown. Imagine that. An Olympic swimmer drowning in a pool. It was at that moment that the crowd began to cheer him on. He eventually finished a full minute slower than the next qualifying time from another heat than what actually qualified. And he reached the wall, and when he reached the wall, it was said that he was hanging on for dear life, completely gassed, out of breath. And after catching his breath and regaining his composure, he was interviewed. And his natural language is French in the country in which he comes from, but he had an interpreter, and that interpreter translated what he said, and this is what Eric said. Mind you, he did stop 10 meters short, and everybody thought he was going to drown. He said, I want to send hugs and kisses to the crowd. It was their cheering that kept me going. Church, we should proclaim the hope it takes to finish this life strong. So, who are you cheering for? Who? Who are you cheering for? Who is it that you're looking to cheer on? According to the Apostle Paul, it should be, as he says, all creation under heaven. And we see precisely this in our final verse this morning. So examine the beginning of verse 23. Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith, don't get the if twisted. It must not be misunderstood. There's a lot of folks and individuals out there, a lot of intelligent, smarter folks than I, who get the if wrong. So the question would be, how does the if get twisted and misunderstood? How, how is it that we could get this if that we see, if indeed, the if, how is it that we can get that wrong? See, some would say that it's on you. They would say, if you don't remain faithful, they would say, as long as you don't backslide. If you don't backslide, and as long as you remain faithful, you'll be presented before God as holy and blameless. It's the same as saying it's up to you. Remember we talked about being above reproach? It, it's up to you to, to be above reproach before the Lord. If uh, you, you do a few things in your life that are maybe, you know, sinful, then you may just be disqualified to be above reproach. You, you, you're, you're now a bogey once again. You went from non-bogey stealth mode to back to bogey on the radar. 
See, there's a problem with this mindset. And the problem with this mindset is that it's performance-driven. Not that there is anything wrong with performance. I have no issue with performance. But it's just with whose performance. See, this mindset is based upon your performance. And when we base accomplishment on our performance... The unfortunate thing is we have no need for the performance of Jesus. Now, in Matthew 24, Jesus does say the one who endures to the end will be saved. But church, this doesn't mean that we secure our own salvation. After all, throughout Scripture, it is abundantly clear that only God can secure salvation our salvation for us. So tell me, what did you do to earn your faith? What was it that you did? I want to hear. What did you do to earn your faith? You're answering the question and you shouldn't be. There shouldn't be one answer from anybody here. What did you do? Tell me. Nothing. It's by the grace of of God. Grace is a gift. A gift given freely based upon the performance of Jesus. See, we are more like Eric Musambani than what we thought, aren't we? Remember, Eric and his performance didn't qualify for the Sydney Olympics in 2000. He only got there because of the grace extended to him freely from the International Olympic Committee. The gift of faith is, as it says here in the text, the hope of the gospel, the good news of salvation for us hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus, not the person and work of yourself. The good news that says, my salvation has been secured by Jesus. So if you receive this gift of faith in your heart, you'll desire to what it says here, continue in the faith. In your heart, you'll desire to be, as it says, stable and steadfast. In your heart, you'll desire to not want to shift from the hope of the gospel. We're not talking about perfect performance. This will never be a church on our watch. Our watch. Not my watch. Not just a few of us. All of us. Our watch. This will never be a church that is concerned with picture perfect performance. We're talking desire. So what's your desire. You're going to fail. But do you desire to be stable and steadfast? Do you desire to not be shifting from the only hope of the gospel? The if isn't inspired by doubt. Because that's another problem with the if, when we look at it the wrong way, when we twist it and get it confused. By confusing the if, we're saying that it's inspired by doubt, but it's not. Rather, it's inspired by confidence. Confidence in the performance of Jesus. 
I don't want to be doubtful in my faith. I don't want to be doubtful in the good news of salvation. So as Mike comes up, I'd like to mention Aaron Musenbaini again. See, remember how the crowd cheered him on to finish that final 10 meters? Now, what does the, Paul, the Apostle Paul say about the hope of the gospel that we see? He says that it has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Are you proclaiming the grace of God? Are you cheering on the hope of the gospel so that your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ can finish strong? So that others can get off the starting block of faith. So that others can continue in confidence in the performance of Jesus. Church, Satan, who is our adversary, wants us to doubt our salvation. He wants us to look at the if and say, man, if I just don't continue to be faithful, if I don't continue to be stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, I'm going to lose my salvation. It's slippery. I don't have a good grip on the salvation. See, Satan's going to want to guilt you. He's going to remind you of your past, trying to get you to make it up to God in the future. He's going to tell you all those little things that you know that you're doing and some things that maybe you didn't realize that you're doing that are sinful and try to get you to make it up to God. Like God needs you to help him save you. Church, God already made it up to himself through Jesus. So let's hold each other accountable. Let's hold each other accountable. There's no better time, no better time, no better time here at Villa's Grace for us to be part of a culture that does just that. Let's cheer each other on in confidence of our salvation being secured by Jesus, who made it so that we are now no longer former foes. And this brings us to our second and final point this morning, which says, it's our desire to pursue faithfulness, not personal performance, that gives us confidence in our salvation. I rest easy at night knowing that. It's a lot easier to sleep soundly when you know it's based upon the performance of Jesus. You know why? I don't trust myself, which is why I want to be part of a culture that holds me accountable. I want to be part of a culture that reminds me of the confidence that I have in the performance of Jesus. Again, our first point this morning, by way of reminder, stated that no one can accuse us of wrongdoing before God because Jesus has made us holy and blameless. He's the egg to our mayonnaise. Actually, he's way better than that. There's no illustration, there's no analogy that could ever do what Jesus has done for us justice. Finally, our main point again this morning. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has made it possible for the enemies of God to become his forever friends. I want to end by saying this. 
one of the convictions that I had years ago, years ago, and I'm still learning a lot about this. I was sick and tired of going to churches that didn't preach Jesus and Him crucified. I was sick and tired of being entertained. I was sick and tired of being manipulated into thinking that it was based upon my performance and what I could do for the rest of the week. We are confident in the work of Jesus. We encourage each other in Him. And the day we stop doing that is the day that this is no longer a church at all. So, what do you say? Let's be confident in Him and His performance. When we see a fellow Christian fall and become wounded, we're not going to shoot him. We're going to pick them up and keep on going because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen? I want some confidence in that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good, good Father. And on this Father's Day, I just pray that we can have a moment where we all reflect upon you being the ultimate example upon what you have done. It's all based upon your word. Please help us to continue to learn to be confident in you. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.